morning, everyone. I am so excited, so encouraged to learn that uh, your ministry teams uh, are embracing the five visions and, and planning uh, accordingly. Uh, listening to uh, this morning to, to Winnie say, uh, saying things about the PTS uh, group, and, and I, I, it really delights my heart. So, the five visions. Outreaching, prayer ministry, unity, discipleship, and last but not least, empowering future generations. I'm sure it has been said, but I'd like to re-emphasize again that these five visions are not something that we pastors or deacons or our leaders would like VCDC to be. No, these are not. Rather, we believe that these are the visions that we are called to be. We did not create these five visions. We are given these five long-term visions by God's revelation in the Bible and His mandate for churches. And we hope that all of us at VCBC will embrace and pursue them faithfully. And in the first five months of this year, the pastoral team will focus on speaking to all three congregations, English, Cantonese, and Mandarin, about these five visions. This month is about outreaching. And in the Bible, there are many terms carrying the implication of outreaching, including proclaiming God's truth, evangelism, leading people to Christ, witnessing, giving testimony, making disciples, and mission. Although there are many ways to refer to, outreaching is essentially about us, Christians, showing non-Christians about Christ being the only way to God and to salvation. And in 2013, the March issue of Time magazine had a special section titled, 10 Ideas that make a difference to the world. And rank number one is called Grow a Burger. This idea is about growing and producing meat in a lab instead of a farm. Of course, this idea is aiming to reduce, if not eliminate, the problem of food shortage and famine. And I guess in this idea, we will be able to film a a sequel of the movie Frankenstein. And it will be called like From Scary Frankenstein to Yummy Frankensteak. Okay, idea two that makes a difference to the world is called Shrink Your Living Space. Well, this idea is, is about a revolutionary concept of interior design where spaces in all three dimensions will be fully utilized and then retractable or foldable furniture will be used. Maybe we will have folding toilet seats. The aim for this idea is to make a 400 square feet space to live like an 800 square feet space. I guess this idea will be very popular in cities like Vancouver, where real estate prices are so unaffordably high. And I hope our parking lot can use some three-dimensional design too. So, so please take note, William. <laughs> Idea number three that makes a difference to the world is called preach like your faith 
depends on it. In this idea, the author was talking about Christian evangelism. Not other religions, but Christian evangelism. Our secular world is getting more and more self-centered and self-pleasing. And the author of this article proposed that Christian gospel will be an antidote for the breaking down of values and ethics in our culture and society. Well, it's not magazines like Christian, uh, Christianity Today or, or Focus on the Family proposing this. It is the Time magazine. A secular mainstream media calling us Christians to do our job. The question is, if the world is looking for an antidote from us, are we actively offering them the message that the world is desperately needing to hear? Are we a channel of God's truth and love, or instead, a barricade against God's salvation to the world? Does the gospel come, from, come out from us, or is the gospel stopped at us? So today, I'd like to share with you a passage about Paul's attitude towards evangelism. And I hope that this passage, very short passage, will melt the coldness in us in spreading God's truth and love to the world. Let's listen to this passage. And, and uh, it's uh, Flora re- going to read to us. Okay, Flora, please. And this passage, it's only three verses uh, in Romans 1, uh, verse 14 to 16. Thank you. This week's scripture passage comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Thank you, Flora. After listening to God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the salvation. We give thanks to you for the good news that we have the privilege to preach. And we give thanks to you that you have entrusted us with this great news to the world. And then we ask you, use today's passage to encourage us, to shape us, to guide us, so that we will be good witnesses to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this short passage of only three verses, we have the Apostle Paul telling us about three necessary attitudes towards outreaching and evangelism. These attitudes are, first, Paul said he is obligated, or more precisely, he is in debt to. Second, he said he is so eager to. And then third, he said he is not ashamed of the gospel. But unfortunately, Christians nowadays seem to be doing just the opposite. First, Paul said that he sees the gospel as a debt he owes. Well, you must pay your debts. If you have a mortgage or a loan with a bank, you have to make minimum payments on a regular basis. It's not like you can repay however amount you want or whenever you want. There are consequences if you don't pay your debts. 
your credit rating can be affected, or worse, your property can be foreclosed, or you can become bankrupt. But many Christians nowadays don't see spreading the gospel as debt. We think it's optional whether we tell others the good news or not. Most of the time, that we will not consider any consequence for not spreading the gospel. Then Paul said that he is so eager to evangelize. But nowadays, asking Christians to share the gospel is sometimes like pulling teeth. When was the last time you tell people about the full gospel? We might serve at church, we might sing praises on the stage or in the sanctuary, but do we talk about Christ when we are standing in front of a non-Christian? Are we eager or are we reluctant? Last, Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel. A lot of times we don't share the gospel is because of fear. Fear of being rejected. Fear of being embarrassed. Fear of being seen as awkward. Such fear, more or less, might be due to the fact that we feel ashamed of the gospel. That we might not want to admit it. So today's passage is definitely not one that's pleasing to our ears, but it's nevertheless a necessary message if we are going to be called by Jesus as faithful and good. So first, Paul called gospel a debt that he has to pay. In verse 14, he said, I am obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. I like how Paul describes mankind, like Greeks and non-Greeks. Like to me, it's like Sam Wong and non-Sam Wong. God created Sam Wong and non-Sam Wong. That's pretty cool. To be close to the original language, I am obligated should render I am in debt. Clearly, Paul is seeing gospel as something he owes. But this concept of being in debt is hard for us to comprehend in our faith system. It's because in our faith, we emphasize so much, or maybe even too much, on grace. We always say, correctly though, that we are saved by grace. Nothing wrong with that. It's, and it's because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus that our debt has been paid in full. Even Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. We all know that in Christ, there is eternal life. In Christ, there is abundant life. But in Christ, there is death. Is this even gospel? Can grace and death coexist in our faith? Well, to answer these questions, first, we, we need to know that. While Paul called gospel the debt he owes, he repeatedly says that salvation is by grace and grace only. In Romans two chapters after this, Paul said, For all have sinned and fall short, fall short in debt, owing of the glory of God, and are justified freely, freely, by His grace, grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul emphasized that we are justified freely by grace. There is no repayment that we should. Or in fact, we can make. Or how can we repay God 
for sending His Son to die for us on the cross. There's no way we can repay God. Even the thinking of repaying God back would be an insult to His grace. Our gracious God can no longer be our debt holder. If grace is to be repaid, then it is no longer grace. The very nature of grace is cancelling debt. But to be precise, it's not cancelling. It's paying on our behalf. God never cancelled our debts to Him. What He did was to send His Son Jesus to die for us, to pay the debts on our behalf, that we cannot repay by ourselves. Our debts to God was never cancelled, but only transferred to Jesus. He died, so we live. We are justified freely, but not without cost. So if we are under grace now, how can Paul say that he is, and by inference, we are, in debt of the gospel? Where does this gospel debt come from? Well, first, we, we need to note that after receiving salvation, the debt that we owe is no longer to God, but to people. Before we be, became Christians, we were in debt to God because we sinned. After being redeemed by Jesus, we're no longer in debt to God, but we have become in debt to others. The grace that saves us from our debt to God now make us in debt to other people. In the financial world, we can be in debt in at least one of the three following ways. First, it is by borrowing. Whether it is a student loan, a car loan, a mortgage for a house, business loans, or simply our credit cards. This kind of indebtedness is probably the most common one. Most of us would have at some point in our lives. The second way to be in debt is by incurring loss to others. You break the window of your neighbor. You are at fault in a car accident. Or like the tax collector Zacchaeus in, in the New Testament, that he was willing to repay four times to the people he had cheated. This kind of indebtedness through incurring loss to others is the kind of debt that we owe God before our conversion because we fall short of His glory. We incur a loss in His glory. And then the third way. The third way for us to be in debt is not by borrowing, not by incurring loss to others, but by trusteeship. Someone asks you to take a sum of money to his children. Once you agree and receive the money, you are then in debt to the person's children. This is the way most trust companies function in today's financial world. When someone is planning for leaving an estate, sometimes they would give the money to a trust company and trust it for the benefit of specific beneficiaries. Once the person dies, the fund is then transferred to the trustee at uh, the trusteeship of the company. Then the trust company would be in debt to the trust beneficiary and has to make payments as stipulated in the agreement. When we are saved by grace, we are at the same time entrusted a debt 
to other non-believers who are the beneficiaries of this trust. And this trusteeship is for us to be in debt in the form of gospel for the benefit of non-believers for as long as we live. Grace has forgiven our debt to God, but also created a trusteeship for us to spread the gospel. And this gospel debt in form of trusteeship is well addressed in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. This is gospel. And then, and he has committed to or entrusted us the message of reconciliation. Can you see this? I'm not asking if you can see the words on the screen. I mean, you can see this. I'm asking if you can see this trusteeship on your shoulder. If we have received grace, but refrain from telling others about God's grace, then we are, in essence, seeing grace as a privilege. Privilege is anti-grace. When we receive God's grace freely, we have to pass it on freely. Today, we have received the gospel because there were people in the past who committed themselves to this trusteeship of gospel. That's why we have heard of the gospel. And now, as we see so many, so many others out there who are still lost, who can be lost forever in all eternity if we keep our mouth shut. What are we going to do? Are we seeing grace as a privilege? Or are we seeing God's grace a debt that we must pay to non-believers? Now, after the first attitude of seeing gospel as a debt, Paul carries on and he says, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. In original Greek version of this verse, Paul's use of language carries a stronger emotion. He's essentially saying, I'm so eager to give all I have to preach the gospel. Now we might wonder, why Paul is so eager to pay his gospel debt? I mean, if we have a mortgage or a car loan, we might want to give all you have to pay off such debts. A mortgage typically amortized over 25 years, 30 years sometimes, might be paid off in 7 to 8 years. Now, only Chinese can do that. Okay? 7 to 8 years if you work really hard to make extra payments to pay it off. We are eager to give all we have to pay off our debts because our financial debts can be paid off because we want to be debt-free. But that's not the case for Paul because he knows so well that God's whole debt is a lifelong debt and can never be paid off as long as we are alive. So for a debt that cannot be paid off, now human nature, would you be eager and give all you have to repay it? 
since it can never be paid off, since our outstanding balance would not even go down, why pay? Let alone eager to pay. Paul said that he is eager to give all he has because he has a different motive. His motive was never about becoming debt-free. If it was, then he would not be motivated. Paul's motive was to pay gratitude to Christ. His debt to non-believers came from the enormous grace he received from Christ. After he received such life-saving grace from Christ, he realized that it's neither necessary nor possible to repay his grace. You know, it's hard for one conscience if we cannot repay someone who has sacrificed enormously for us. As a result, God gave Paul a way to ease his conscience. Paul can repay his gratitude for Christ by spreading gospel to non-believers. That's why Paul was so eager to give all he has. But then, as eager as Paul to share the gospel, we should not think that he was without struggle. Paul, like all of us, would encounter temptation and might give in. That's why right after saying he is eager to share the gospel, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Paul would never say that he was not ashamed of wealth or health or success because no one would feel ashamed of these things. But he stressed that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is exactly the gospel that would bring him shame when he preaches it. Let's see what kind of reaction would Paul encounter when he preaches the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, We preach Christ crucified, that's gospel, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Paul said that when he preached gospel to Jews, Jews would see him as a cult. When he preached gospel to the Gentiles, the Gentiles would see him as an idiot. Even Jesus had warned his disciples about feeling ashamed of his words. Jesus said in Mark 8, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the gospel, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Among so many temptations in the world, why Jesus warned us against feeling ashamed of the gospel? Well, it's because such urge to feel ashamed of the gospel is huge, but yet hard to notice. There are many reasons that we do not usually share the gospel. But one common reason is fear. But fear what? I mean, in Canada, you won't be put to jail because you share the gospel. It's not like Afghanistan or, or, or Syria you probably won't become a martyr by telling your friends your relationship with Christ. What are we afraid of? Or maybe we fear 
rejection, embarrassment, or awkwardness. Maybe we fear that other people may ask us challenging questions. We cannot answer. We will ask, where is Tower Anderson? And it hurts our self-esteem. Maybe we fear how others would look at us, or being labeled, laughed at. But at the end, the fear we might have might be because that we are afraid of being ashamed. However, we must overcome such fear. We must overcome the temptation of feeling ashamed of the gospel. Well, but how? Well, let me share with you a way we can cope with this. All we need to do is to recognize that even though we can be shamed because of the gospel, we do not need to be ashamed. We can be, or even will likely be, shamed because of the gospel, but we need not feel ashamed. Shame is imposed on us from outside by others. A shame is an acknowledgement from inside of us. When others shame us, and if we feel ashamed, it means that we, to a certain degree, agree with such shame. Of course, if we have done something bad, something disgraceful, and was shamed by others, then we better feel ashamed, right? or else we will become shameless. So feeling ashamed is an internal acknowledgement that what we have done is disgraceful, is bad, is worthless. When we are shamed by others, we don't always need to feel ashamed. Well, let me give you an example. When a mother saw her four-year-old son approaching the gas stove and about to play with the buttons, of course, she would stop him and tell him, that he should not play with that because it's dangerous. But then, I mean, a four-year-old or three-year-old might not appreciate such restriction. So he might get mad and yell to his mother, You don't love me. I hate you. You're the worst mom in the world. Any of you have that? So, you know, this is shaming. You're the worst mom in the world. I mean, that's as bad a shame as you can ever get as a mom. But if you are the mom in the story, would you or should you feel ashamed? Would you feel so embarrassed? Then you decide that in the future, if your son approaches the guest stove again, you would not say anything. You, you just pray silently, like, God, please do not explode, do not explode. I mean, normally, you probably won't be like that, right? Why? Because you know that what you tell your son was good, was right, was beneficial to him, even though he cannot understand right away. So the next time he goes to play with the stove, and you know that he might shame you again, you would still not be ashamed of what you are going to tell him. So when you share gospel to others and God rejects it, or even God shame, and if you feel ashamed, then the issue could be that you might have questions about the trustworthiness of the gospel, 
or that you maybe you do not see gospel as the only way to salvation. So how can we overcome such urge to feel ashamed of the gospel? The only way that we can be uh, we can overcome this urge to feel ashamed is by hanging on to what Paul says next. Because it is, gospel is, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The only reason that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel is because he hangs on to this statement as if his life depends on it. That's why Paul can share the gospel even till his last breath. Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's not Judaism, not Buddhism, not Muslim, not wealth, not health, not technology. We have many neighbors who are Sikhs. The Sikhism cannot save them. Only gospel can. Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, then Europeans, Americans, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, East Indians, Arabians, even native Indians. Being misunderstood, yes. Being rejected, definitely. Being shamed, yes. More and more likely now. But to feel ashamed, we must not. And there's no reason to. When we are misunderstood, rejected, or even shamed, don't give up. Because the stake is too high. How many people would accept the gospel the first time they hear it? Even among us, as we recall our conversion experience, I'm sure many of us that rejected the gospel before we were finally moved by the Spirit. Keep going. Don't stop. Live your life that is unshamed of Jesus' gospel. And I'm sure one day you will see the fruits of your efforts in an amazing and surprising way. At the end, I'd like to share with you one more verse in the Bible that really touches my heart. It's a verse about Jesus from the book of Hebrews. Says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Who are we? We're sinful, selfish, disobedient, unreliable. Jesus said that he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We need to ask ourselves, how can we turn around and feel shame, feel ashamed of Jesus and the gospel that was achieved by his sacrifice? So brothers and sisters, may we, in this new year season, be resolved to take the gospel with us everywhere we go and whomever we meet. Remember, it is a debt to the non-believers that has been entrusted to us that we must be eager to give all we have 
to further God's kingdom. And, and we must never feel ashamed of the gospel because, and only because, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let us all pray together. Heavenly, gracious, and merciful Father, we praise you for the fact that you have saved us. Even though we constantly fall short of your glory, we praise you for the fact that, that when we cannot repay our debt, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross so that we are justified freely. And Heavenly Father, please, please fire up our eagerness to spread the gospel. Send us to the world and help us to be faithful, loyal messengers of our Lord Jesus Christ. May our lives bring glory to you and bring good news to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.